Seriously, why would you? <laughs> <laughs> We're not even the roast part yet. <laughs> I mean, but roasts but are cancelled. It was all the deliveries. Like I'm proud of myself, <laughs> but why? <laughs> because I made pollo con mole. I made chicken with mole from scratch. You made the, the mole all by yourself? No, the mole did. Oh fuck you! I, I, I got the paste. So basically, you mixed boiled chicken. With I made my own um, with a sauce broth. that came out of a. I it was really good. I also made rice, and the rice came out fluffy, and the grains were distinct. I'm proud of myself. Okay, who ate? Who, Don't take this from me. Who did me. you eat it with? <laughs> Welcome to Mexicans. <laughs> Because you're Mexican. And we simply can't. We simply can't anymore. Uh, I love pollo con mole. You should have shared. It's good. I will. Anyway. So, yeah. It's oh. now past Day of the Dead. Yeah. I miss it already. It's almost Christmas already. Oh, fuck Christmas. Where is Where has the year gone? Do you put up Christmas decorations? No, not in my house. Because I'm never there for Christmas. Like, I always visit my parents. So, like... My mother the other day, she calls me and she goes... Because if there's one thing worse, I I find, that a mother that refuses to um, accept you as a gay is a mother that fully accepts you as gay and says, you surely must like all this holly. You know, just like, look at all all these plastic berries you can put all over your house. And my mother is like, like, it looks like Santa Claus pukes inside her house. She's She's that. She has a Christmas toilet seat cover. She's that mother. Um, The other day she was visiting and she was like... I have a lot of boxes of Christmas decorations. Surely you would like some of them to decorate your your flat. Uh, I'm like, Mum, we don't really do that. Like, <clears throat> we're not enthusiastic about it. Like, I'm enthusiastic about inviting the dead to my house. <laughs> like, that's fine. But, you know, like, oh, Christmas, you know, Jesus. I was like, Jesus and I, we have a cold respect for each other. And that's it. A nodding relationship. <laughs> it's just like, Jesus, Luis, you know, it's just... For a long while, like every year, my mom made new Christmas dec- made new cr- Christmas decorations for like the tree and stuff. There was this year where she embroidered, she, like for the tree, she embroidered these like tiny uh, cushions so that every, each one had like a different <clears throat> word, like peace and wisdom and joy and whatever, with different uh, color strings and everything. Uh, my mom, she doesn't go all out anymore. Like my dad will put up the lights and my mom will take care of the in like cushions and like again my mom will make stuff and she likes it as you have seen my neighbors do go all out <clears throat> with their decorations yeah. um as, at least with halloween i kind of respect that because they did this whole they have a, a, they halloween, a, tree. Spider. Yeah. They have a halloween tree oh my god i'm gonna look at that yes no you should, well, you should. i should have looked at that you should have but uh yeah um and i don't i don't really do that so I, but everyone's decorating so what i'm going to do is i'm going to make a sign like with literal just like microsoft word that says merry christmas like just in small text and, and you should do it so it looks like the print the, the, the printer ran out of ink as it was printing 
It's something else that's printed on the other side. Exactly. It's recycled paper. Like I, I didn't even bother using new paper. It's like there's some like there's just a like receipt. Exer- there's yeah. a receipt on the other side. Just like my taxes on the other side. Just like, uh, last year, one of my neighbors for Halloween, uh, like he had this really cool um, thing on his window. And, like, the pièce de résistance was, like, this, like, a skeleton that was, like, just there hanging out on... And and he liked it enough that he just left it there. And by December, one of the neighbors complained to him that he shouldn't be... Shouldn't have... Because, like, they complained before, like, oh, it's too scary. And they're like, no, it isn't. It's just, like, a smaller skeleton. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, but then, like, by December, this one was like, oh, I can be, like... You know, you have to put Christmas decorations. You can't just leave your <coughs> Halloween decorations on. So what this guy did, because he is a hero. Uh, yeah, crucified. I but also, guessed. he put a little Santa Claus uh, hat on his uncle's <laughs> head. <laughs> and that was it. He's like, it's Christmas now. Now and he's then... now he's Jack Skellington. Yes. Best Halloween and Christmas movie yes. all together. Combined. Yes, yes, yes. <coughs> the it's Nightmare so Before Christmas. I can't believe it hasn't been made into, into a stage musical. Or if it has... I just don't. I'm not pro making everything a stage musical. I'm pro making everything. I would make KFC into a musical. Okay. I like it. I'm not against KFC being a musical. KFC is a dating game. What? A dating simulation game. There's this game where you can, uh, like, romance uh, the Connor Sanders, and there's, like, several characters for you to. Anyway, uh, I know what. What? Jesus Christ, internet. Like,. I don't know when you should have stopped, but well, you know. before then, <laughs> definitely. By the way, this is Mexicans. We already said that. Fuck you. Let me... Uh, in, let me okay, sorry. Fine. No, you, you, you go. You go first. Okay, fine. Let me introduce <clears throat> my co-host. Uh, if he was a character in a teen high school coming-of-age drama, he would be unremarkable. It's Luis Augusto. <laughs> I'll be in the background. Like, maybe have a line. Like, fuck you, principal. That's it. Not even. And may I, <clears throat> may I, my co-host needs no introduction, may I introduce still, uh, Martin Leon. He came here to kick gum and chew ass, and he's all out of ass. <laughs> it's stupid, I was lazy it's today. It's a Duke Nukem reference. <clears throat> it's a what? It's a Duke Nukem reference. Well, it's, uh, I don't know if it comes from Duke Nukem, but the whole thing of like, chew gum and kick ass and I'm fresh out of gum. I don't know if it's from... That, but yeah, there you go. How are you? Thank you for stopping by. Oh, I'm, I'm good. And you? Good. I was talking to our audience, but okay, fine. Isn't oh. that just you? Thinking it's all about you. Thinking people are talking to you when really we're avoiding you. Oh, but we are getting more followers on Twitter. I think uh, we've got 20 now. Oh my goodness. Yeah. We're into double, double digits. <laughs> yes. The second tens. We got, exactly. I think one of our tweets got five likes the other day. Wow. Yeah, I'm not gonna start. Th- I'm not gonna start thinking this is a thing until we have more followers than years of age. <laughs> it has not happened yet. Well, we have more likes than years of age. We have like fifty. Wow, forty nine actually. <laughs> You've counted. Three of them are mine. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right, so no, thank you so much to my brother who's been listening since episode one. Is he not a Leon? Yeah, that's oh, him. He's, he's he a sh- poor idiot. I thought. So. <laughs> I thought. I thought he might have been related to you. It's like Leon, and he listens to everything we do, and he likes every tweet. Clearly, yeah, no, he's really supportive. <clears throat> Clearly, thank he's very, you. He's thank been, you, Nota. His name is Nota. His name is Nota Nail, which is also my father's name. Are you serious? Yes. 
And if, if, if the story I've been told is correct, the name was supposed to be Nathaniel, like Nathanael. And someone went, no, not a Nathaniel. <laughs> there was a typo at the registry, so they just stayed. And actually, <coughs> they're named, at, both my dad and my brother are named after my great uncle, who is Nathanael. was an angel. No, actually, the complete opposite. Uh, he was a luchador. He was El Frankenstein. Uh, he was actually in, in some Mexican movies. Are you serious? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, he was a luchador and he was in Mexican movies. He was in El Santo versus the... El Santo contra las Mujeres Vampiro. Uh, he was in a movie about a mermaid that I saw when I was really young. And he's like one of the pirates who takes the mermaid to like her island. Today's Mexican stereotype, we were going to do something else, but why have we not done Lucha Libre? I don't know. And specifically, your family's history with Lucha Libre. Go on, please. Okay, so I don't know much about... He was one of the bad guys, because you have like the technical and the... I forget the name. It's technicos and rudos. Rudos, which yeah. in uh, American wrestling terms is uh, heels and faces, mm-hmm. or faces and heels. So, he was one of the heels, I assume. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, my great-grandmother, she didn't want to... She didn't like to go to the matches, because since he was one of the bad guys, he would usually lose. So, like, he, but he really wanted her to go. So, like, one time, he got in a match, and he talked to the... To like, everyone, he's like, my mom is coming, so please, 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 Can I please, please win? Can I win today? And they were like, okay, fine. So, for that day, the bad guys won, because the bad guy's mom How was How old there. was he? Do you recall? Give me an estimate. I don't know, but he must have been younger. Like, I, I met him, like, once, if, if, uh, if any. But here's, here's the cool thing about having this, him as an uncle, when you're studying film. Is that, like, I would go to places with my other film student friends, um, and they'll be, and they'll be like, oh, we sort of film. It's like, oh, does anyone in your family work in film? And they're like, oh, well, one of my uncles did this documentary about bees, and my father directed this, uh, movie that three people saw, and they're like, do you have anyone in film? I'm like, my uncle is El Frankenstein, and usually people go like, really? And I'm like, yeah. He, he used to, he had a shaven head. Yeah, that's him. Uh, Evaristo. <clears throat> but also Nathanael. Yeah. Like it's... it's Nathanael. Like, I, if it's not Nathanael, it's misspelled. It, yeah, okay. Somebody wrote it wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nathanael Leon. That's he appeared in 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23 films. Yes. Wow. That is insane. Of which I've seen two. <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah. He was handsome too. Oh, and he was buff. Well, I can see that. Them quadriceps. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, like, for here in Mexico for a while, we had, like, a lot of, like, Lucha Libre movies because we had El Santo. Uh, and, again, he was one of the bad guys. And I like that in his character in El Santo versus the vampire women, he was this, he just, like, his whole part was, like, being menacing behind wait, the wait, main wait. vampire woman. I don't know what Ecurev is. But this website is saying things about uh, your great uncle. Oh, no. And please let me quote some of this, because this is just 
beautiful. But before I do this, I have to say that a Mexican luchador yes. asking his friends to please let him win because his mother is going to see him that night is the single most Mexican story I've ever heard. It's how can you say Mexico in a sentence? That's the one. Like, if you ever like, but please, Martin, please, Martin, like, Martin, yeah. can you, like, explain Mexico to me, like, in a sentence, like, just make it easy for this me? This is the most Mexican I've felt in a while, actually. Yeah, that was so Mexican. Now, let me quote some of this. Here we go. Um, in the movies, he played stereotypical villains, although he also um, showed that he had a talent for comedy. Um, in spite of his looks, everyone... <laughs> In spite of his looks, everyone who met him thought he was a rather nice and agreeable fellow. <laughs> In spite of his looks, except for uh, except his, for several women, his that sinister been... presence okay. uh, gave him a number of roles. Um, in the movies, <laughs> including several non-luchador films, because um, lucha libre is also a, a cinema, a cult film uh, genre. It's its own thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nathaniel Evaristo León Moreno, also known as Frankenstein, was an antagonist <laughs> in national cinema, mainly in the films of Santo Frankenstein. Um, he had, you know, shaved heads. Uh, this is how... Uh, he was always uh, he was always distinguished by his... Uh, he was a very approachable and kind person. Um, That's news. <laughs> and then it proceeds to say, and this is, I am not kidding. There are three things in common that Nathaniel Evaristo Leon Moreno and Arnold Schwarzenegger have in common. <coughs> what? Yes. There are what? three things, this is what it says. Three things Arnold Schwarzenegger and Nathaniel Evaristo Leon Moreno have in Austria. common. One, their names are very difficult to say. <laughs> Two, the producers of movies did not hire them because they were good actors, but because of their incredible, not not their incredible, their um, striking appearance. And finally, they are icons of the true popcorn movie. Okay. Wow. Three things that your great uncle and Schwarzenegger have in common. Yeah. Uh, Let me see. I never, again, I saw him like twice in my life. Um, I'm not going to. Okay, my dad used to say that when he, uh, he when he went to college, uh, my uncle well he would when he would go uh, visit him in Puebla, uh, like he would go and he would just take his hat off and people would recognize him like with the shaven head, yeah. And like a lot of people would go like, oh my god, autographs and whatever. Wow. Um, and yeah, he was very approachable and agreeable. Um, That's such a good story. Why have you never told me this? A I. Don't know that many people who are into lucha libre cinema or whatever. So I, I am into the and this is this into is the cuteness of it. This is, no, not really. Here's the thing: I don't like the whole ironic thing about lucha libre because I yeah. think like modern day people they they like lucha libre in a very down their nose kind of way. Yeah, like it's just like oh look how the masses enjoy themselves. You know, it's like. Oh, how inventive they are in forgetting that they're poor. You know, it's it's kind of like a very um, 
patronizing way of enjoying Lucha yeah. Libre. Have you been to the Lucha Libre? Yes, I've been. Uh, yeah, often? like or No, you? I've been twice in my life. And I never saw my uncle. No, well, yeah, you wouldn't. You were very young. Like, by the time he died, he died at the age of 80, 86. Yeah. 2001. September the 12th. Yeah, and I, I have cousins uh, from his side, from, like, his children uh who are also one way or another in entertainment Mm -hmm. uh one of them works at the um, film workers syndicate Mm -hmm. uh he i mean here's the thing i totally agree with every i don't know it's fine everything says that um family he was a very let's say a very traditional fellow okay so he did not get along with uh, family members who are more liberal, and my father and my mom are the black sheep. Some of the more liberal members of the family. So, okay. <clears throat> so you you were a bit estranged from him. Exactly, and like literally the first time I saw, saw him in the movies, I saw this. It, it's actually it's actually like a funny movie, um, or at least I thought it was funny at the time. And it's this story where there's this mermaid uh, who wants to go back to her island, so she like hires a ship. And he's one of the pirates in that ship. And there's, like, this really bad, huge octopus, a marionette, and... What's the name of the movie? I forget. Like, The Mermaid something. Uh, but I remember this this scene because, like, there's this, again, horrible octopus marionette. And he's, like, attacking the boat. And they're like, oh, no, huge octopus, whatever. And so the mermaid talks to the octopus, like, please leave us alone. And the octopus does leave him alone, but also they put a sedative on him. So he has, like, this very, uh, this very, like, uh, you know, weed smoker voice. Trippy, yeah, he's like, fine, I'll leave you alone because I'm getting kind of sleepy. The octopus says Yes, 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 That's yes. Because so yes. the whole point of the movie, she's, like, on her wheelchair, and nobody knows she's a mermaid, even though it's obvious she's a mermaid. She's like, why are you going to the mermaid she island? She keeps misting herself. <laughs> <and> she's like, <laughs> Exactly. My skin is cracking. Exactly. So, uh, and she talks to fish, and, it, and I remember, and I remember that at the end, it was a, it was the first time. Something funny about this wheelchair woman. She was talking to the lobsters the other day. <laughs> and I, by this point, I knew I had an uncle that was an actor, but I like we were never, we we're never going on our way to watch his stuff. So when the credits started rolling, and I saw him, like my first thought was like, my dad was in that movie. Because, like, I did not know anyone else with that name besides my brother and my and my dad. And then I told my mom, it's like, oh, no, that's your uncle. And it's like, that, that's it. That's Have cool. you gone to the Little Day? Yes. I, I've been probably about five or six times. Okay. I do enjoy it very much. I do enjoy it very much. I don't enjoy it in the kitschy kind of way. I, I think of it as, because I am, um, a teacher of mine gave me... It gave me Lucha Libre as an assignment when I was studying theatre. Okay. And I analysed it from a theatre perspective, like a performance perspective. And I, it has a very rich mythos. It has very yeah. rich casts of characters, rogues galleries, entire storylines. And for a long time, it was like a very interesting combination of entertainment, sport, and just good old rowdy type. Like it was... And I don't think of it as like a, in a... I, I loved when I went there because I went there researching, really. I was like, you know, and part of my research was, you know, talk to the people who go there and like, how often do they go? And I remember talking to this woman and she was probably in her late 60s. 
And she said, I come every week. It's my favorite thing to do. She was holding a beer the size of her thorax. And she was just like enjoying the fuck out of everything. She was just cursing at everyone. And she was with her daughter and with her daughter's husband and with her, with her son-in-law and her, uh, her grandchildren. And it was just the whole family just doing the thing. And they were enjoying themselves so much. And I was like, something that makes people enjoy themselves this much and is not heroin <laughs> cannot be bad. And a lot of people, they look at the cinema and they look at the aesthetic of it and they go, oh, it's kitschy. You know, it's kitschy. It's like, oh, it's, let's I go, don't, let's I don't go think to the Lucha Libre. Because I mean, it, so I think fun. it is kitschy. I don't think it's bad because it's kitschy. I... The thing for me and Lucha Libre was that I never, like, I was never too much interested. And yet it might be the fact that I'm kind of, I did kind of look down on it, I, I, I admit. But by the time, like, I learned more about Lucha Libre was when they were doing this thing where, like, several Mexican luchadors were starting to try to make it in the U.S. And Rey Mysterio. Rey Mysterio, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And also, here's the other thing, like, me liking buff guys, people would be like, so you like luchadores? I'm like, I don't, like, luchadores often weren't that. They were not that, they're, they're super athletic, like, they might not look it, but they are super athletic. They fly. They fly, they jump, they know how to fall, they're, they're, like, they're athletes in every sense of the word. They just didn't look swole, which was the look that I was going for. Well, the thing is that the, um, the WWE, mm -hmm. and, you know, the... The two schools, of, which is um, SmackDown and Raw and, you know, yeah, the, uh, WrestleMania and everything. The, 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 the US, American. The American version, which is very much similar it and is. to a degree modeled after the Mexican uh, scene. Um, they did go, a lot of them, they did go for the pretty boy yeah. kind of, you could have been a model. Although in the 80s, 90s, a lot of them were doing also very campy looks. There were people yes. like, like they were painted gold, especially the bad guys. Um, uh, the Undertaker? Come on. I mean, yeah, exactly. he, was, he was camping it up uh, and he loved it. And we, we also have like a lot of like, and here in Mexico we had like uh, a lot of like the mass thing was really important. You have El Tinieblas, you have Blue Demon, you have El Santo, you have all those. Um, and yeah, this is all mythos. And I, I, I do think, I do think we're due for a Santos movie that's kind of like treated, if not in the Dark Knight type treatment the gritty mm. reboot of, of el the santo. santo yeah i think we need if not gritty gritty something because they did a, they tried making a cartoon a few years ago which was kind of good uh and then but if again if not the dark knight treatment something more like marvelous but where you the have premise is good here's the thing he doesn't have any superpowers. No, he doesn't. He's, He's very bad manish. He way. would work in a watchman kind of setting where they don't really have the superpowers. I, they're very strong. Yeah. They're very good fighters. But it's really more about the fact that they have this resolve that makes them fight crime and makes yeah. them become vigilantes. And in the stories of, of El Santo movies, who is, if you don't know, by far the most popular um, luchador in, in, in Mexican history... Um, like, we're talking buried with his mask on, people yeah. attending the funeral in droves. Like, this was just, it was it was a thing that happened. Um, and he was basically just this guy who was a luchador, and he accepted himself as a luchador, but also he became kind of a superhero. So he started fighting vampire women and, you yeah. know, uh, 
alien monsters that just showed up out of nowhere. But also, it had this thing of the 60s. Do you remember... Do you remember the Spider-Man cartoon from yes. the 60s? Have you seen, like, clips of it? Of course. Where Spider-Man never takes off his costume. So he's just answering the phone in his costume and just washing his hands in his costume and just, like, mm-hmm. doing everything in his costume. And he did the same thing. It's like... Yeah. And he wore a suit, too. No, the, the image is, is quite striking because, like, when he, when he wasn't fighting crime without a He was shirt actually on. quite sharply dressed. Yeah, he had, like, the suit and, like, he would... Like, he's de- he didn't have this whole, like, Bruce Wayne Batman thing. He was El Santo the whole time. And people were like, Santo, help us. Like, he never stopped being the hero. That was a very yeah. interesting thing. He gave up his entire identity yeah. to be El Santo all the time. And he had some... And again, as far as movie potential or series potential, there's a lot there. Because like, he had his... Like, you know cinema people. Car, why are you not making calls right now? I think this Because would be of the rights situation. I think Televisa owns the rights to El Santo. What if we just wrote a screenplay? I... What if we just fucking wrote a screenplay and mailed it? Let's do it. Just like, we believe Mexico is ready. I do believe it. For the hero that Mexico deserves. I do believe it. Also, like, I mean, again, it's a great... More realistic villains, right? I mean, not not like vampire women. That's the thing. The cartoon, when they made it, it was like El Santo versus every single thing he ever fought in the movie. So it was like the werewolf women and the vampire women and the zombies and the... Thing from the Dark Lagoon and stuff like that. So, like, that was kind of eh. But, yeah, like, if you have... I don't... It was very pulpy. It was pulpy. I don't know if El Santo has a a villain... Rogues gallery. A rogues gallery. No, it's just the the rudos. I mean, they would... But sometimes he would work along them. Like, because he would go with Mystico. Yeah. Like, he would... uh, And Blue Demon. Like, he he would, like, he would... I think Blue Demon is... I think, don't quote me on this, but he's kind of one of those redemption arcs that he maybe started in the... The heel face turn? Yeah. I think so. I might be wrong. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know if he I started. Know I know he this. became an, an iconic hero. Probably the second most iconic after yeah. Santa was probably Blue Demon. Um, yeah. But I do like, I, I, I do think we're ready. And you know what? I know it's weird, but like superhero movies are supposed to make you feel good about the idea of justice. Yeah. And call me weird, but I would love to see an R-rated movie. Well made, well produced R rated movie where El Santo rips some cartel drug lord asshole's face open like from the jaw. I would fucking watch the fuck out of that. Okay. <laughs> because that's the thing. They always, who are they fighting? Like, look at Marvel and DC. They're always fighting the people that, as a society, we wish were fought. We wish were. Hunted, and you know this shapes a culture. I totally agree. I would. I. I. I'm not into gory things, so I. Oh wouldn't, fuck! I, I am, wouldn't I want. Am. I. I wouldn't want like the whole face thing. Yes, I would. But uh, Deadpool. But yeah, no. I like Deadpool. A Deadpool esque kind of thing. I don't. Here's the thing. I don't think El Santo and wrestling in in itself. It's more of a family friendly thing. It is a family friendly show, even if it's like fights and whatever. A, it's good always conquers evil, unless your mom is in the audience and you uh, and you convince the And other. people so very rarely die. Ah, yeah. Although they do. They do. Uh, but also, for example, there's this other uh, luchador and I'm, oh my god, is he, is, is he Cassandro? He's a gay luchador. Uh, and he is my Fucking hero. I love him. He is so out. He doesn't wear a mask. He just wears these long, long, long capes. But once he's out there, he is just so campy, 
so kitschy, so this close to drag. Is he in the WWE or is it Triple A? It's Triple A. It's Triple A. I think it, I think it might be Cassandro. Um, and he literally says the reason why I'm so out there and so effeminate and still like doing this shit is because I know that the there more is, people yeah. see Cassandra, me and the guy. more people, yeah, him, amazing. Uh, I'm gonna put a photo. He's up. his look is brilliant because he's definitely luchador, campy, and also a bit of drag. There's a yes. bit of drag in there as well, or a lot of drag in there. So it's like it's like, yeah, and he wears these really, really, really long capes to stage, which yes. he then takes off and fights. How does the audience react to him? Uh, it's he's been. I mean, from what I read from him, he's been well received in a lot of places, and it's the thing. And he's very pro pro trans people. Uh, and what she says is like, the reason why I'm out here is because the more people see us, the less people are going to be against us. And I, I mean, there's like, a documentary. Yeah. BBC. Yes. A BBC documentary. He also, about when, when Conan came to, uh, Conan O'Brien. Conan O'Brien came to do a show in Mexico. He, he, when he went to do Lucha Libre, he did it with him and other people, another luchadores with him. Is he a, um, a Tecnico or a Rudo? Conan Bryan? Cassandro. Cassandro. I think it's technical. Okay. I think so. I, th- I don't know. Um, Lucha so Libre. So much fun. Yeah, so go, go, watch some of it. It's it's an acquired taste. It's an aesthetic that is not very usual these days. It's very... It kind of got stuck in the 60s. So, like, if you enjoy the Spider-Man show from the 60s, the Batman show from the 60s, all this kind of thing, it's kind of pretty much the same thing. Like, yeah. if you if you wish... Gosh, I wish somebody had made an entire industry from the aesthetic of Batman from the 60s. We did. We have. It's here. So watch the Luchador movies. I love the fuck out of them. Non-ironically, not a guilty pleasure, just a fucking pleasure. I'm so proud that Mexico has done this and that other countries have seen this as like, this is fucking amazing. And Japan has yeah. done it. Uh, Indonesia, I believe, has done it as well. Uh, like so many other countries. Yeah. Have like, this is brilliant. And if you do watch El Santo versus the Vampire Women, the guy in the back whose head is shaven and who just like basically stands being menacing. Looking menacing, yeah. That's my great uncle, uh, Notanay Leon. So anyway. Do you have a mask of his? He, was, he didn't wear a mask. Oh, he never wore His iconic look was like just shaven head. shaven head. He does have this really... He doesn't look like Frankenstein at all. People say he was horrible, like like horrible looking. He isn't. He just has a very, very strong nose and a very, very strong jaw. Like... Yeah. Okay. And he has three things in common with Arnold Schwarzenegger. When we become big, and we will, uh, we're going to have a trivia contest. A live, a live trivia contest, and one of the questions will be: Name the three things that Martin Leon's <laughs> great uncle and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Fuck it, yeah, they do. Uh, that Martin Leon's uncle and Arnold Schwarzenegger have in common. Yes. So, so that is the end of today's Mexican stereotype. I'm so happy that we talked about this. We've never talked talked about this, and it's really good. Yeah. Okay, and this brings us to our main topic of the day: dark humor. Dark humor. Black comedy. Black. Comedy. The the taint like your of comedy, like your soul. We're, we're wearing black, all, all black today. We're stand up comics, dude. We're wearing <laughs> black, literally. I all wear a lot of pink. You wear a lot, of, yeah. You were you, you're actually not, you know. Under- I have this great shirt with a whole bunch of My Little Pony. Which, I wore black before I was a comedian. <laughs> I was will, just like that was just me. I was before a comedian, after a comedian. And I was beyond. born in black. I was born in black. I will be buried in black. 
I, I will not allow that. I will dress you. That was in a the very campiest. poor phrasing. That was a very very poor phrase. I would, you know, I would love to be buried in black as I would love to be buried in any other race. Like this doesn't. I don't distinguish. I don't see skin color. I, I see the. I didn't of notice the that until then. My God. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. So dark, I'm sorry. <laughs> so dark humor. What is dark humor? Okay, uh, the way I see it is dark humor is uh, jokes about things, not offensive things, jokes about things that are taboo, things that are the, the, the darkest, dark humor is jokes about dark stuff, that's, that's it. You're doing great, just keep it up, I'm enjoying myself. Yeah, thank you. Uh, jokes about taboo things. What do you say is dark humor? Um, well, if we divide, like, language into these, like, offensive language, or offense with language, there are two main areas. There is... We lost half the audience right there. Fuck you. <laughs> there is vulgarity. Okay. Which is another kind of humor altogether. So, like, shit, like, talking about shit and talking about uh, piss and... Uh, a coprophilia and humor. Blue humor is not dark humor. It's its own kind of humor, vulgarity. Um, but it refers more to things that gross people out or things. There are taboo, but they're taboo for a different reason. And then dark humor is more about to do with more universal topics, I think, that culturally we shy away from. So things like, you know, uh, abortion would be like everyone, you know, every every comedian has tried, or at least every comedian I know, has tried, even in secret, to write a joke about abortion. Like, it's a thing that... Yeah. I don't think I've ever tried to jo- write a joke about abortion. Neither have I, actually. Well, I tried. <laughs> Your focus group is... I tried. <laughs> but then I took it back. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the oldest abortion joke. Have you seen how many comedians tell that joke so as if many. it were theirs? As so if it many. were theirs. It's like, I was going to tell you a joke about abortion, but then I aborted it. It's that Let's joke. start in, I think, right now, the comedian who is best known for his dark humor and who is a master of dark humor, Anthony Jeselnik. Do you think he is the master of dark humor? I would disagree. I I mean, I don't know. I mean, of the ones that I stand... Um, I'm going to say it's Jimmy Carr. Jimmy Carr. Yeah, no, he's very good. It's yeah, Jimmy no. Carr. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're... Both very dark, both yeah. very different. Yes. Very different styles. But their topics, if you look at them, they, they come back to the same topics. Like, he, they're very unapologetically, like... Anthony Giselle, he I just listened to an interview uh, he did for the po- podcast. I spent half my day listening to podcast people. Uh, good one with, uh, I forget the name of the host. And what he said, like, he's basically had an abortion joke on every single special he's ever done. So what he says is, like, by this point, uh, like, that's the thing. Most people do an abortion joke and they do this joke we just mentioned and that's it. But Anthony Giselle has... Like, gone around the subject so many times that he has something new to... Well, he challenges himself to... To say something new Something about new abortion. and something even more offensive than the last time he talked So about what's your favourite abortion joke? Uh, what's my favourite abortion joke? From him, joke? I, I assume, yeah. Uh, oh, I'm thinking... I mean, I, the, the last one, the, the one he did for uh, Fire in the Maternity Ward was... It was like... Ten minutes long, and it's like going with with her, with his friend uh, who's getting an abortion is like going with her to the and one one of her 
one of the the ones that like it's he says like uh when the nurse comes out and says like oh the abortion is done he he said like oh but i thought she was getting an ultrasound <laughs> oh my god that is good and you know he says like i said this to make the nurse feel bad about what yes. so, so it's like i'm going to fuck with her many so levels yeah. uh what is your favorite abortion joke my f- <laughs> okay this is really dark but here's the thing Dark humour, I find, needs to be spiced up or dressed up with other things. If it's just to shock people, I don't think it's going to work. So you either go for the innocence of, like, you've said something really inappropriate. Like, my dark jokes, I have a lot of dark humour in my in my uh, stand-up set. But I usually go either for the, for the criticism of someone else or from the innocence of things. So, like, for example, I tell this joke... Uh, where I'm talking about my mum, who's Peruvian. And then I talk about the first time I had a maid in the house, which was very late in life, relatively, because I didn't grow up with a maid. And I do this thing, which is like kind of like just a quick observation, but it always gets a laugh. Then I go, um, and the first time I had a maid, I was very bashful around her, because when I was growing up, I, I never had a maid, because my mum is already Peruvian. <laughs> and that is a very dark joke, but I tell it with the innocence of like, why would I need a maid? Like, I... I I, have, I don't say it in like being insensitive. I say it like because that's you know South American people. They, they have the stereotype of South American people. A lot of people are being very xenophobic against South Americans, particularly Venezuelans and Colombians, because they're coming up. So like they like the joke from the innocence. My favorite abortion joke is uh, Jimmy Carr. He says, um, "I he's saying something about like I believe in chivalry. I believe if a man gets a woman pregnant, he would get uh, he he should pay for the abortion." And then he goes. I can't, no, I, uh, no, I'm kidding. No, I wouldn't pay for the, for the, no. How does he say it? It's like, he says something like, I would pay for the abortion. I'm kidding. No, I wouldn't. It doesn't cost anything to fall down the stairs. (laughs) And then he goes, some of these women, they just think I'm made of coat hangers. (laughs) He does. There's this Mexican comedian, uh, Sara Silva. Uh, she has an amazing, amazing thing about Thinking she's pregnant and uh, and and getting like accustomed to the idea of being pregnant and you know like even abusing the power of telling other people I think I'm pregnant you know and the way she ends that routine it, I think actually I'm, I'm gonna uh, it's, it's a great thing she says like she's saying like uh, like I was changing my lifestyle I started eating the vegetables out of my noodles cup uh, <laughs> and you know she was she was and she was doing all things and she's like but it but it but it all it all ended because i fell down the stairs and that's and and that's why pe- pregnant women don't drink <laughs> and she's she does it so well she's, she does it so she well she delivers a joke sarah silva is such a good deliverer she's amazing. of the joke she's a, and i mean she's one of the greatest unsung thing. comedians i think you you mentioned about being for shock value. I think, for example, there's another comedian uh, will I not who I will not mention here who I think only goes for the shock value to the point where I find his jokes predictable because it's like okay how like I was talking to a girl rape joke and then I raped her of course uh, and I don't I mean it's not like it's, his jokes aren't bad they work people laugh but I think at some point it's like fine it's good the thing is you're giving the trick away because yeah. you're doing like. Even a very skillful magician, let's look at a magician, if he does a trick and you're like, wow. And then he explains, like, for example, Penn and Teller, by the way, amazing dark comedians, also very good use of black comedy. Um, 
Penn and Teller, they will show you how they do the trick, but then there's a, a prestige at the end, a surprise no. at the end. Was like, but this comedian you talk about, I think I know who you're talking about. He, his writing is very clever, very concise, very good. But it, the problem is, it's so... The timing is always the same. The the punchline and the setup and everything is all timed in the exact same way. So you know that if he says something like, I was pouring myself cereal in the morning and the cereal was a little girl's vagina and I fucked it. Like, obviously, this is not the kind of joke that he says. But you know that no matter how innocent the setup is, yeah. he's going to go for a punchline yeah. that is very dark and very shocking. For example, one of my favorite jokes from uh, the last special with An Anthony Sonic, because it, it's amazing to like also hear him talk about uh, comedy, and he, he's 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 a comedy genius, uh, and he's so handsome. And he is. He is very handsome. And but he's got like, this. One he's got this look of someone who is just about to lose control of his life because of drugs, but not quite. Yeah. That on the cusp. But he's so on top of it that he's smug about it. Yes, you know, yes, like, yes, yes. Anyway, so the thing with him, it, well, one of his jokes in the last special, which I loved, he was uh, talking about how he's like, you know, the, the, the country is divided. And one of his, uh, he got called to do a show by a group of, I think he says white supremacists. And he says like, and when they, they called him uh, and they told him, he's like, I would never do a show for you, you cheap fucks. And that's it. That's, that's like, it. That's, and yeah. the twist at the end is just like fantastic. And also, um, what I was trying to say before is when you go only for shock value, I find it's like, welcome, you're doing a rape joke. Congratulations. Welcome to the 60s. Um, like, yes, you're shocking people. Whatever. It has to be, it's there like, has to be something else. Exactly. About it. There has to be something else about it completely. And like, again, Jimmy Carr tells this rape joke that says, uh, I know that rape jokes are very offensive to some people. So for the duration of the show, when I refer to a rape, I will call it a struggle cuddle. <laughs> and he says it in this very Jimmy Carr sort of way that he's like, I'm trying not to offend you mm -hmm. and I'm going to be offensive. But I'm not because, like, it's such a ridiculous name for a rape. Yeah. Like, it's just, I find it, my, uh, another rape, another uh, abortion joke that I really like, uh, Ali Wong. The Queen. <laughs> I don't care if I talk about her every single episode. Ali Wong, she talks about um, spontaneous abortions. She's yes. not, she's not getting an actual abortion, but she's having one. And she says, and she starts with this lovely thing where she says and it happens to all of us it's a thing that women don't talk about but we all have abortions it happens all the time to the point where some parents will not tell people that they're like some future parents will not tell people that they're pregnant they she that the woman is pregnant i hate people who's like we're pregnant no you're fucking not she's pregnant fuck you um but anyway uh and she says that when she started uh, the doctor told her like your baby is dying or dead or dead, probably. And it's such a heart-wrenching moment. And then she says, um, so the doctor gave me a pill or something and told me that the baby would come out of me in the next few hours. And I felt it happening and she sits at the toilet waiting for her baby to come out. And her husband is all like, oh my God, you poor girl. Like, okay, I'll just, I'll just leave you to it. And she goes, no, you stay here and watch. 
watch me have an abortion. And she's just like doing this and like, this is in, both yeah. of us. Oh and God, then Ali. she uses it into this thing of, and I made him feel so sorry for me that he bought this bicycle that I really wanted. It's my abortion bicycle <laughs> and I like it very much. And she turns it into this thing of, she's not being insensitive about abortion. She's normalizing it. Now, so it's dressed with a social commentary about how we treat abortions in women. And I think you were recording, right? Because yes, you just we're touched recording. The, okay, we're you recording. Just, you just touched the console, and uh, <laughs> and I was I'm nervous every time you touch the console because like, you've re- you've been recording. So yeah, it ha- there has to be something else. It can be social commentary. It can be innocence. It can be sarcasm. It can be, but there has to be something else other than I'm just going to shock people. Here's the thing: like uh, a few a few years ago, uh, I saw a comedian called Jason Rouse. Um, and he's very known for his very dark, very, uh, very in your face humor. And he does it with this very like charming, uh, affect. Uh, and again, you, you do you in your comedy, but what I liked about him is that he was just like Anthony Sonic and just like Ali Wong and just like so many other comedians that I enjoy their dark humor, Sarah Silverman, um, even like the darker parts of Big Mouth, even like uh, they, they're they're never apologetic about because like here's the thing about shocking humor in the open mic circuit and shocking humor with some comedian. It's like they're always acting like, "Ooh, I'm gonna, I'm so shocking. Aren't you shocked? I'm so edgy. I'm edgy. I'm talking. Ooh, I made a homophobic joke about a hate crime, and it's kind of like." I've heard it all, honey. Like, I'm, like, I've heard the jokes, I've heard that hate crime joke from someone who wouldn't bat an eye at my hate crime. Uh, so, like, if, if you, if this is the only thing you're giving me, eh. but it, with these other comedians, they're doing so many other things that by the time the shocking punchline comes, it's actually shocking. And that's what- And not funny. Hmm? And not funny. It's no. not funny. It's just shocking. No, what, what I mean what, when what it's, it's actually shocking, it's that it it's jarring. You actually you get the laugh because it's a it, because it 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 doesn't create the tension. It breaks it, and you have like a big laugh. Like again with Anthony Jasonic, Star Oh right, that's what. Yeah. Uh, because otherwise, you you at one point you're just telling people, okay, I'm going to do these jokes that make you uncomfortable. And the audience is like, okay, well now I'm uncomfortable. What are you going to do about that? Yeah. There has to be something else. Like also there is something to be said about what people call refuge in audacity. There is a comedian here in Mexico. His name is Lalo Elizarradas. Very good comedian. And when, when I was just starting in standup, um, I started doing standup. And one month later, the earthquake hit the 2017 earthquake hit. Yeah. It was terrible. Hundreds of people dead. The city, the entire city was in mourning, but everyone was also like helping. And like, there was this massive thing of like, let's come together as a society, whatever, you know, whatever. Uh, nobody cares about those people who are still uh, homeless now, but who gives a fuck? Like that was 2000, that was 2017 news, you know, but whatever. Um, it's two years now, right? Yes, wow. two years. And this guy came to the Stand Up Wars. This um, this contest was going on. Obviously, I didn't enter because nobody knew who I was. Um, and he told this joke that was very, 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 very shocking. But it was 
to my mind, very cathartic. Because first of all, he told it from a point of innocence. So he starts saying the Topos, which is this um, Mexican <clears throat> non-profit, which basically trains people for rescue squads in case of earthquakes. That's, uh, that's what they do. Uh, kind of like a volunteer fireman, but for yeah. earthquake rescue. And uh, he starts telling a joke about the topples and starts saying things like, I wonder if they have their own bars and I wonder if, you know, how they hang out and so on. I wonder if they have their own chat-up lines. And he says this joke that it's not going to translate well to English, but he says this joke like, how would a topo tell a female topo something dirty? And he said this thing, it was... Um, Ojalá que fueras un muro para que te me vinieras encima. Which is, I wish you were a wall so would you so you come all over me. Yeah. And I remember being at that place where the Santa Wars was happening, and the laughter was so powerful. He he told it really well. Yes. He it was from this kind of parallel universe where he's imagining their lives, so he's not trying to be insensitive. We. And also as a society, we knew that nobody was really being insensitive because it's like, dude, we, we, everyone knew someone who lost something. Like it was such, especially those of us who live near downtown, mm -hmm. like everyone, either you know someone who lost a relative, which is tragic, or their home or whatever it was. But like, it was so catastrophic. And the laughs that he got that day, I yeah. thought was so like... Oh, like, thank you. Like, okay, we can laugh about this. So I think dark humor... Here's the thing. I hate that thing where we can laugh. Because you can laugh about anything. And a lot of people... And again, I, I mean... You, I, I've had this conversation with you. And I've had it with other comedians about, like... There's this, this conversation where they're like... Oh, we're going... There's this gay comedian. Like, so they're go, it's one-on-one -on -one comedians. So it's like... You do your bit, he does your, he does five minutes, you do five minutes, and then roast and roast, and one yes. of them, and one of them wins. And then, and for some reason people was like, well, it's a woman, so we have to send a gay guy or another woman because, and I'm like, you don't give a shit about misogynist jokes at any given moment. Why do you think that you can't do a misogynist joke on a roast? I will answer that question because they know deep down that their misogynist jokes are bad. They don't I mean, hold any. That's kind of, that's kind of the thing. No. If you, it's like when people because it started with you saying like you're gay, so you they're gonna send the the girl against you because and I'm like I'm sorry. When have people stopped to think? Oh my joke is homophobic. I'm not gonna do it. Apparently they they only, they only stopped to, to think about that when they have an actual a gay person in no not an, yeah a competition or an actual gay person in front of them. And by this point it's like it's this thing like when people told me like I have a homophobic joke but I but if there's like a gay person in the audience I won't do it it's like grab your fucking balls no, it's not about and the, tell your no, homophobic it's not about joke the, balls. the thing is that a lot of comedians will tell homopho uh, homophobic jokes or misogynistic jokes or whatever it is but they know deep down that the reason they're telling these jokes is just because they want to offend gays or women or I don't even think that much I don't even I, I, I don't do I don't think they think that because much because they know honest. they know that the audience is immediately going to be on the side of whoever is receiving the That's hate. That's news for me. No. That I is don't fucking think news I for don't me. Think it's news. I'm sorry, I've been in a lot of shows and I've seen the homophobic jokes before and after me. And there's no difference in the way the audience receives the jokes before me or after me. The audience is maybe slightly less homophobic before after me. If anything, if anything, if anything, no, I don't. No, what, uh, I, what I mean is... That's, that's kind of, no, I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is they're fucking cowards.
Like, if you're gonna go on stage against a gay guy, and the only thing you have against him is, oh my god, you barely have AIDS, it's, you're a bad comedian. That is it. No, but that's the point. When I went on my first try at the, at this, it was uh, considered a, a, a very, very, um, very accomplished comedian gave me a very, very wonderful compliment when he said that was one of the best roasts of the entire competition. Uh, this guy came up, he was a, a new comedian, obviously he didn't write the jokes, but the jokes were so predictable, so predictable, that he said an AIDS joke, he said a blonde joke, he said a joke against my colleagues in my team who are not white, and it was so predictable that I had a comeback for each and every one of his massive sarcasm quotes, roasts. So the problem is that the jokes are bad and they know it. But so, I don't think they know it. I think they do. I think, I mean... Because if, uh, if they didn't but know if you, it... if they know... If they didn't why know Why no. do they tell them? No. Because they want to tell jokes that are homophobic and misogynistic. Like, some people are homophobic. But I think they actually think they're good jokes. No, I don't. No, 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 no. If no, they no. thought they were good jokes, they wouldn't be afraid of telling them to me. Yeah, but that's the thing. They're only afraid of telling them to you because they, because they are only bad in front of you. But they think the problem is you, not the jokes. This is why straight white comedians don't like to have an, other people around them that aren't straight, white, or male. Because then, then y y they have to deal with the fact that they're going, oh, women. Then a woman can go on stage and say, like, by the way, I have an answer to this. And it's funnier. And it's better written. And, the pr and then he can be like, oh, well, she's just pandering to the audience. She's just doing woman jokes. He's just doing gay jokes. I think They're yeah. just doing black jokes. They're just doing Asian jokes. I do think they think their jokes are good. And it's sad for me to say this but it's like I've been doing comedy here in Mexico for 10 years and every time I go to an open mic I hear the same versions of the homophobic joke I'm sorry different versions of the homo homophobic joke and different versions of the misogynist joke and different ver and for example you were talking about the earthquake that was that's a good joke about the earthquake good uh, I thought it was hilarious hilarious after the earthquake a whole bunch of comedians went on stage and they're like watch me I have an earthquake they're, they're like no 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 and but they were like, watch me, watch me. I'm going to do a joke. I'm going to show just how insensitive I am to every single person I'm who lost G. anyone or anything to this earthquake. I am unmovable. I am a jerk. And this is my superpower. And they go on stage and they basically said like, ooh, uh, look at the city saying, ooh, I'm trembling with fear. That's And it's like... They think dark humor is about being insensitive. Yeah. And they think the more insensitive they are, the yeah. better their dark humor is. And it's not about being insensitive. It really isn't about being insensitive. Um, because a good comedian, a good dark humor comedian, like when Jimmy Carr, he does this thing, another, uh, he loves pedophilia jokes. He loves the fuck. <laughs> Thank God you said jokes at the end of that sentence. And pedophilia. Otherwise we would have been he sued. He has this joke that he ends with, a setup. The setup of a joke is the punchline of a joke. So he says, okay, everyone knows that, you know, if you're a black person, then you can make jokes about being black. And if you're gay, you can make jokes about being gay. And if you're a woman, you can make jokes about being a woman. Right? Okay, so two pedophiles walk into a bar. 
And he finishes with that, and it's wonderful. Yeah. But nobody in the audience actually believes he endorses or doesn't care about pedophilia no. because he handles himself and his dramatic persona because everything you do on stage, the attitude, the body language, the wording, everything is telling people things. Yeah. And he is so aware of that that when he says a joke about uh, mentally uh, mentally disabled... Uh, oh, sorry. About, is that not... Oh, I just, yes, mentally just... disabled. Yes, mentally disabled uh, children. Nobody really thinks that he goes around laughing at mentally disabled children like it's not no. like he, he says this joke where he's like um what is it um a, a study shows that uh clowns are uh no clowns really do laugh a lot at their jobs but that's not always the case if you're a clown working at a burn ward or at a mentally disabled children's hospital it could be twice as that like twice <laughs> as much so it's funny but nobody thinks that he actually looks down on burn victims nobody does that he's just handling himself in a way that we all want a laugh and we are willing to like suspend the taboo and obviously he is not like that in his life and we know this Good, dark humor comedians, I believe, have a handle on sensitivity and they play with it. They don't eschew it completely. No. Because a lot of comedians will just, I'm just going to be as insensitive as I can to as many kinds I mean, of people as kind I can. Of thing, and that's, that's me being a comedian. That's, that's not... kind of a thing for me, like on Twitter, like every time there's any sort of like world tragedy, uh, you know. Everyone's trying to one-up each other. You know, there's there's a side of Twitter that's like, again, just when me make the most insensitive joke I can right now. And it's usually kind of a basic joke because they're also trying to be the first ones to make it. So it's never like a... It's never something that took way... Like, there was never a second draft. Let's just put it that way. And usually they do get the attention they want, which is people going like, how could you? Because that's what they want. Yeah. Um, but then you see, like, well-crafted comedy specials such as Jimmy Carr's or Anthony Jusselnik's or Sarah Silverman or... Um, or the or parts of other specials like Ali Wong, uh, Mike Big- Biglia has some like nice dark humor. Dave Chappelle, Dave Chappelle. Does, love, um, does really good dark humor. Uh, Ricky Gervais. Ricky Gervais. I think he's got some really good dark jokes. He has some good ones. Yeah, I think he kind of got lost in. Uh, Twitter's going and coming after me. It's like you're fine, honey. You're fine. You just tweeted something shit. Yeah, but I'm not gonna. I'm not. Yes, but you know what? I'm not gonna until I live. What it's like to go on Twitter and hear hate about you every single day. I'm not gonna call bullshit and say, oh, come on, just get over it. Because a lot of people do end up closing their Twitter accounts. Like, a lot of people is like, they can't handle the thing. And the fact that you're a comedian doesn't mean you're bulletproof and doesn't mean you're made of iron. So, Ricky Gervais, when he says, when he says, oh, the fucking crybabies at Twitter, what, what he's really saying is, I feel victimized. Yeah. And, yeah, and he you has know, a and right you know, to feel And you know what he does? He, uh, he weaponizes his followers against people with way less followers. That's what he does. Well. That's it. I can't say I'm and you can mute and, and you can mute people on Twitter. You can block people on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, like... You, you, you tweeted something really funny. Was it last night? A couple of nights ago. <laughs> where it was like... I like s- that one, yeah. When you said... Um, what's it, like like a tweet. It's like one person tweets something and then the tweet gets like uh, three comments. One of them is negative. And so the person, a half an hour later, like, so about my last controversial tweet... And that happened because I saw, I'm following... This I, happened to me with a uh, carne asada tweet that I did. 
how people hate him. I mean, yeah, at least... Uh, the... I follow several uh, gay activists, gay Mexican activists, and one of them tweeted something about, dra- about a drag queen he liked, and someone answered, like, I don't know how you can like her, she's not as good as this other one. And he got, again, ten comments, and he was... And then... I'm sorry. So he tweeted. So, so he. So he saw that. I saw them in the morning, and then at night I saw his, you know, response. Like, you know, you could just imagine him, like, you know, like him imagining himself at a press conference going, "I'd like to address the controversy." And I was like, "Oh my god, get over yourself." This is an official statement that I am reading in response to the controversy. And he's like, "I have." And here's the thing: I have been in the end of a lot of hateful messages on Twitter. Both by pro, uh, what they call themselves pro family, they're just homophobes. Homophobes, yeah. Uh, and also one time, uh, this trans uh, woman saw one of my tweets and she misinterpreted it as being anti-trans. So she sent like this tiny mob of trans people to go after me. And these people, like, they, they, da- they dug through my Instagram and they were pointing, putting photos of me and going like, you look like, you look like you, you had a car crash and your face got smashed. On, what? Like, yeah. And I was just going like. When did do- this happen? Uh, like two years ago. Wow. Yeah. So, but it was basically like during three days, they did everything in their, and they went through my Twitter account and I realized that they were going through my Twitter account looking for keywords to make me look bad because I have a tweet where I use the word, uh, naco, which is, uh, I don't know how to explain the word naco. It's tacky, but it does have a certain classist racist ring to it. So the thing is, at one point I tweeted, I hate, I don't like people that use this word. And then I did another tweet using that word as an example with, 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 uh, actual quotes. And, but the thing is they, they don't come up together because this was before tweet, Twitter had the threads. So like they'll bring it up every, every so often and be like, oh, well, you're a classist. And I'm like, well, first of all, you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do have a problem with discrimination, but, and it's like, I was like, and he just, I mean, it wasn't even jokes. It's just people misinterpreted my tweet as being trans. No, people will get offended. Yeah. I've had people be offended at, like, a show. So it hasn't happened that much because I'm literally yeah. no one. But, like, I've had people... Uh, once I bought someone's ticket, like, because this woman, just a young woman, she was younger than me, probably. And she was, like, I think it's... She uh, was 16? No, she was about, like, probably about 22, 23. Okay. And, um... When I did my white baby joke, all right, she 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 just she shouted she like she went, "You fucking racist!" And I'm like, "Excuse me." She's like, "Yeah, you're racist. You can't tell jokes that those kinds of jokes because you're white." And I'm like, "Lady, and you're, you're like, watch me." No, I'm like, "You're you're miss, you're missing the entire point of my joke. Yeah. I can tell this joke because I'm white because I'm being racist against white people." Like, I am not being racist, but, like, I am... You're mocking your own racism. I'm mocking... You're not even mocking your own racism. The joke, and it's a, it's a great joke. It's probably uh, my darkest it is, one. It, probably I, my I, darkest probably not your... I don't know, if you consider it. But it's um, it's a great joke about how, here in Mexico, uh, people really compliment uh, lighter Skin babies. Color, yeah. yeah, and lighter babies. And this is the thing, and he you do it really well. And But it is a joke that makes fun of that fact. It isn't a joke... That defends it. It's rather a joke that says, look at this, this is ridiculous, and this is what we do. Uh, because I've had similar, similar, uh, experiences with jokes about, uh, 
But, you know, anything. Um, I mean, this woman just lost it with me. This woman just lost it with me. And I was like, and, and I told her, like, I'm sorry, but first of all, you don't understand the joke. I am not racist. You don't get to call me a racist. Second of all, if you didn't like the show, this is a, like, it was a no, no, nothing show. It was a nothing show. And the rest of the audience started going against her. And that's a really nice way of losing an audience, actually. Yeah. Like, ironically, if the audience tries to defend you, you shoot your own comedy in the knee. Because it's like, now they can't... Well, the, like, well, the problem is that you had a lot of people who were, like, on here, like, we're, we're having fun, whatever. And someone just questioned the thing. So you, so now they have to question, like, is this racist? I laughed at it. Am I racist? So I, I, so, I kind of lost it with her. I, I probably should Did you throw her a bottle at her? No. You should have. I told her... How much was the um, how much was the cover? And she said it was a hundred pesos. And I just took a hundred pesos from my wallet and I gave it to her. It was like fuck off, leave, oh, leave my show. Did she leave? Yes. Uh, wow. And I told her, I told her, this is the grown ups table. We, we're having a grown up conversation here. We're having a grown up conversation about many issues, and you need to keep up. If you can't keep up, comedy is not. And no, here's the thing. I I, I mean I find that. A- a lot of patronizing, but here's the thing. If you yes, yes, it if, was. If, if you don't like was. my jokes, if like whatever, it's like fine. But I'm driving. You get to sit down and listen. You might think at the end of my show that I'm racist, that I'm homophobic, that I'm misogynistic, blah 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 blah. I know a lot of people that go on to that if they go to a stand-up comedy show, they go already thinking this stand-up comedian isn't going to do anything to impress me, and it's probably all of those things I just mentioned. Yeah. Whatever you, whatever you are on stage, be you a woman, gay man, trans person. Yes. Um, so, like, if at the end of, like, at the dinner show, you want to talk to your friends, cause not even to me, I don't give a shit about your opinion. Like, I'm on stage, I wrote my shit. If you want to go, come to my Twitter, please do. I will mute you. Have a nice day. Uh, it's like, you get to talk to your friends about why you thought the joke was racist. And they'll, and maybe they'll agree, maybe they'll disagree. But more than likely, if I'm doing my job right, what, I want to say, and what I mean, what I mean to say, will be, will come clear. Yeah. As you say with Jim McCarthy, it's like he does his jokes, and you have to be a kind of very specific person to think, "Oh my God, he's totally going, he's totally being pro pedophilia right now." Like an idiot. What you mean is you have to be an idiot. Here's a, here's the thing, because there are a lot of lot of other comedians, especially here in Mexico, that will say this joke isn't homophobic. And I can be like, yes, it is homophobic. Like, it's not homophobic enough for me to call... It's not more homophobic than your average Mexican. I wouldn't qualify it as hate speech, maybe. No, it is hate speech. It It totally is hate speech. It's it's speech born from hate. It's just very lazy written hate hate speech. So it's no longer, like, you just, like... I mean, here's the thing. It's like... You know what? You just made a joke about gay people dying. People laughed. And now, and it's great. It's great. It's great. Now I am in this place where I know that I could die and people will laugh at that. Because that's the end. And it's not that I understand that's not going to happen. Although with several people, I kind of No, it's not. Doubt, just, I doubt stop it. it with your paranoia. People are not going to laugh when you die. Oh my God. There's so many, like, there's going to be a race on Twitter to have, again, to have the most uh, on PC joke about a gay comedian dying. It's gonna be someone I don't know. It's gonna be someone who th- thinks it's funny. That's the worst part. It's not even gonna be a good joke. It's gonna be a rush joke because some homophobic asshole. Yes, of course they will. They make jokes. Maybe uh, I'm underestimating or overestimating rather. Uh, and again, it's not gonna be one of my colleague, co- colleagues. But that's the thing. If you, here's the thing. Being a likable jerk, a funny jerk, 
makes people think that being a jerk is funny. Oh. And no. Oh, shit. Yes. Oh, and no. I'm sorry. There's people who are, who make being a jerk funny, and then those, and then other people say, like, oh, being a jerk is funny. I'm gonna be a jerk. And like, no, you're, now you're just being a jerk. Well, yeah, now you're I mean, ruining it for everyone. You ruin it. Yeah, these people just ruin it for everyone because dark humor, when it's done properly, it's such a beautiful thing. I, I just love dark humor. Like, probably, I don't know, like 50% of my jokes or even more than that end up with some kind of dark twist. No. Do you tell dark jokes? I have some dark jokes. Tell us one. Um, which is, which joke, dark joke do I have? I mean, killing a puppy isn't particularly dark, but I have, I have a joke where I once two puppies was, die. Was uh, people tried to boo me off stage? I don't know if I've. I've I remember that. Before. Yeah. I, uh, did I mention it in the show? Yeah, you did. Okay, but please, uh, okay, no. I, I, but but here's the thing: you joke about because you're talking about you talk about a. I think first an old woman dying and then the puppy dying. It was originally no 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 originally it was. I talk about a child starving when, yeah. when you go to Starbucks and people will say, would you like to give 10 pesos to a child who is very, very hungry? And I poke fun of, at how manipulative is it me. is because they assume that if you say no, then you're this cunt who basically doesn't care if a child dies. So I turn it around and I go, bring me this child. I will eat a 75 peso brownie whilst this child dies in front of me and gets a big laugh. And then I go, and in the meantime, I will be strangling a puppy. That yeah. was the original joke. Yeah. And people started yelling me to get off stage yeah. because of the dog. And I won back the audience by saying, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. I just said a child is dying, starving to death. That's a slow death. The puppy got a quick death and they started laughing at that. Yeah. But it was like, from that moment on, I was like, I can't talk about killing puppies for some reason. I, I, but here's the thing. I literally say a joke about throwing a brick at an old woman's face and yes. people laugh at it. Yeah. But here's the thing. You, that's what you said. Like, I can't, but you can. And you did. And you won back the audience. That time. No, well. I retired that joke. Because it always made the audience extremely uncomfortable. Killing puppies, not something Mexico's ready to laugh about, apparently. Well, I had a joke where I killed two, and they're related. Uh, I have a joke about how I, t I talk about there's... Because I, I, first I talk about I have a cat, and one of my cats is quote-unquote quote special. And I say, you know special? You know, she's a dumb cat. That's what she is. And then I say why she's dumb. And then I say, like, and now there's a dog lover going, oh, right, cats are dumb. But there's special dogs, too. There's dumb dogs. So, like, I make, so, like, I, t I, I do this joke where I explain, like, you know we have a dumb joke, a dumb dog, where he, instead of a name, he has a sound. Like, you wanted to name him Napoleon, but you name, but he's called Shushu, because you were in, like, the garden going, Napoleon, nap, nap, and you just... It morphs to Shushu, and you're like, yes, Shushu, yes, Shushu, come, come, Shushu, no. Shushu, stop. Shushu, stop. Shushu, that's the street. And he gets run over. And then he gets run over. And then his brother gets run over too. Um, I think it's just so ridiculous at that point. I've had, I have audiences where I go like, uh, they go, aww. And I just turn around. It's a fake dog. It's, well, like, yeah, it's, it's okay. If it's, it's okay. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. The dog doesn't exist. Exactly. Um, which also comes, uh, there's this uh, thing I've been calling the, because I don't like the fake the fake dog defense. I will name it right now. Um, Re Renato Guillén, who's a comedian from Mexico, and has it. And this guy, 
Donald Glover also has it in his in one of his Comedy Central specials. It's uh, the thing where you make something bad happen to something or someone. In Renato Guillén's uh, case, it's a girl with cancer. And in Donald Glover's case, it's a girl who gets murdered by her boyfriend. And they turn around and say like, oh, you're feeling bad about an imaginary person. And it's like, yeah, they're feeling bad about an imaginary person Because it's something that it's happens something to that real happens. people. Yeah, you're kind of like going against your own joke because you're invoking people's emotions yeah. about this thing. It's a very powerful image. A yeah. girl being murdered, far more powerful, I yeah. believe, than a dog dying. But still, um, yeah, you're evoking that. And that's why I don't like... And uh, the same goes the other way around. Like, for example, I do a lot of anecdotal jokes, like yeah. things that actually really literally happened to me. And I used to go... And, uh, you know, I would say something, something, something. And this is true. This happened. And a comedian, um, mm -hmm. Burra, Miguel Burra, told me, stop telling people that this is true. Yeah. Because you can feel that this is true. Yeah. And even if people go, maybe this didn't happen, that's not your responsibility. But stop telling people that this is true. Because if you tell people, and this actually happened to me, then, oh, th then the rest of it was not true. Yeah. So, like, you have to be really careful what is true and what isn't. I one of the things in my workshop, what, 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 every time I thought like this is true because this is true. It's not in your case, but usually when people say it's, it's true, it's like they say something that actually happened to them. Nobody laughs and they go, "No, that actually happened." And they're like, "Yeah, we're not doubting that it happened. Yeah, it's just not funny. You're not just choosing. You're just yeah. cho not choosing the correct story. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, and the thing is, the moment you say, you know, this is true, what people are saying, like. Okay, it's true, but I mean, I don't believe it now. It's yeah. like it's like when, it's when you're telling a ghost story, like this totally happened. It's like no, it didn't. Yeah. Um, but coming back to dark humor, um, is there any topic that makes you uncomfortable? I'm not saying that you will stand on a soapbox and say I will, but that makes you uncomfortable when other comedians have touched it, or in general. Well. Okay, here's here's something that sort of irks me as of late. Um, and it's such a weird thing because it's not like cruelty to children. Like I talk about so many things in my stand-up act. I'm not an arsehole, by the way. I just talk about a very... It just... A lot of taboo things happen in my no. routine. But um, I believe this country is in the middle of a very, very, very negative political shift in the sense that we just had a new president elected last year who... Has made a lot of questionable uh, choices, if you could call them that. He but, has made, in my, I think he's made only questionable choices. <laughs> uh, but the thing is, because he ran on a campaign of, I am on the side of the poor, I am on the side of the disenfranchised, I am on the side which, mm -hmm. he, isn't, which he isn't, but he ran on this. People in Mexico, it's, it, it's something that I feared would happen, and it did happen, which is... Um, Now, a lot of people are associating, like, any kind of poor person with this guy. Yeah. So, a lot of people will make political jokes that they say they claim are political, but in reality are just racist and uh, classist. But so much, like, let me give you an example. Only yesterday, a couple of days ago, um, Slobotsky, uh, a comedian, he favorited a video. And in this video, it's a security camera feed. And in this video, uh, this guy in a very, very fancy Mercedes SUV mm -hmm. is uh, driving into, reversing into his gar garage. And four guys, uh, like, pull up in another SUV. 
they like really quickly get down and go in, clearly attempting to kidnap him. Oh my. This guy, either in panic or in a good show of reflexes, hits the gas, smashes through the door again to like drive himself to safety and runs over one of the one of the potential kidnappers. Yeah. Um which is, you know, I I can't say I felt sorry for the guy because I, I genuinely didn't. The guy got up, which made the video a lot less gory. I mean I'd rather no one get Either kidnapped or run over, but yeah. I get what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. But the thing is, the guy got up. The guy got up probably with massive organ damage or whatever. But the guy got up and, you know, the guy just, uh, the, the, the potential victim escaped mm-hmm. and so on. And a lot of people were commenting like, that's karma. I, you know, this was a very satisfying thing, which I get. But then the political thing begins. Yes. Where it's like, Oh, I'm so happy that four chidos, which is basically uh, four um, liberals. I'm so happy that four liberals got four brown skinned liberals. Four brown skinned liberals who wanted uh, justice against the inequality that we live in. So obviously, it turned into the good guy is the guy in the Mercedes, the successful, honest person who didn't deserve to be kidnapped. I will say this obviously, obviously, did not deserve to be kidnapped. Like nobody does. Um, but it became, it, it, it devolved yeah. into this thing. No, it becomes no. this thing either you're in one of two sites and you cannot have any nuance on the internet. And that's, and yeah. I, I think that's my main problem with, uh, with, with what a lot of people consider dark humor when they're starting. It's that dark humor, maybe ironically, it, it can have nuance. You can make a very, maybe very... it needs it. Like I would, I mean, I would say I, it needs I, I, it, but I there needs to be a finesse. Yeah, to good it's, it's, dark you know, humor. it's like wielding a chainsaw. Yeah, um, you can have a shocking humor. Like you can have a very shocking, uh, even like a very shocking joke about a hate crime, and be on and be so very obviously talking against hate crimes. That's the other thing that like, people think that just coming on stage, like I respect everyone, but then you see one of them's jokes are quote-unquote safe and actually since you can be super homophobic misogynistic racist and stuff just being safe because society is like fine racism uh you know i find that shocking humor you know puts up a mirror to like this is i mean this is something that could happen and i'm making fun of the of the person who could do it maybe you know like how um for example uh rape jokes the special by Cameron Esposito, which I, I mentioned, uh, last episode. Uh, there's this part in her, in her, in her, uh, getting to talking about her own experience that she said that she really hates how rape gets portrayed in media because, like, for men, rape isn't a t- terrible thing that happens to women. Rape is an origin story for superheroes, you know? She's like, and it's like, she gets raped, but then she gets mad and she becomes blah, 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 blah. That's not what happens, you know? Like, and of course she's, I mean, she's, she's talking about it. She, she's not shying away from the subject and she's talking about something that's happening, but she's so very obviously saying, okay, I am going to grab this, which is uncomfortable and it's taboo and people say I should be making jokes about it and I'm going to make people uncomfortable but I'm also going to make him laugh about the things we think about it yes yes it's just and that's the nuance that's the nuance that I think I I think as someone who really loves dark humor both hearing it and saying it when it's done right it's like it's like crepes 
Like crepes? Dark humour is like crepes. It's only good when it's done right. (laughs) Because a lot of things you can fuck up and they'll be okay. Like if your rice is sticky. Yes. Just add some molly and chicken and sticky rice with molly and chicken is still fucking fabulous. If your sandwich is missing a bit of mustard, it'll still be a decent sandwich. Yeah. But crepes, you either get them. I will say this about dark humor because I because here's the thing. Uh, I think what we are missing is a place where comedians can fuck up their dark humor without being the axis of a hate mob of digital hate mob. I think not so long ago. Some jokes out of a uh, drag queen. I think they were roasting. I forget who the roast was for, but one of the one of the queens roasted um, Latrice Royale, mm-hmm. and it was a very racist joke. And when it when it when it filtered, it was filtered very much the idea like, look at this queen being so racist against Latrice, and people were like, oh. this was during RuPaul's Drag Race. Yeah, but it wasn't during. It was. It was like a. a it wasn't. A, it was like. It was an event that was. Okay. It was. It was someone went recorded it and brought this video. Like, look at them being so racist. And Jinx Monsoon, who is one of the queens, that it's more like outspoken against discrimination and stuff like that. What she said is like, what you have to understand is when when you are in a roast and you're there, like the audience should be consenting to this type of humor. To take this joke and take it out of the context and try and say, I look, she's so racist. No, she isn't. She, she, this is a roast. This is what roasts are for. Yeah. And if you are, if you decontextualize, because people love doing that. They love the contextualizing jokes in order to make someone or the other look bad. Yes. And, and this is what I'm saying. What we need is a place for comedians to be like, uh, okay, this is a safe space. Um, and the, and, and here we, we need can... a safe space for dark humor. That's such an interesting concept because it's like, I mean, I think, cause at the end, I, I've seen a lot of jokes that I'm like, I get, I sort of get what you're trying to get. Uh, and I like what you're working with right now, but I understand why you wouldn't put this on an open mic where people are going to be like, ah, oh, how could you do this? You know, so that's that's my thing with our humor. I think we do we're missing a space for for comedians. Well, are we though? I mean, just I'm I'm just I'm just gonna go out and say it. Like, yeah. whenever you've, and I've done this with you. Whenever I have doubts about a bit, I go to my trusted circle of comedians where I know I will not be judged. I will not be, and you know who these people are. And if you don't have these people, find some. I like not even for comedy for life, like. The person you can be inappropriate with, or the person you can yeah. be like, I, I always have like with a with the Me Too movement, for example. Like I have a few uh, girlfriends that I can like express some of my concerns about the Me Too movement that are not against the Me Too movement, but sometimes you're afraid of saying it because maybe people will take it out of context. Because, again, you because you're working with the idea. Yeah, and and yeah, I totally agree with you. You have certain comedian friends. You you work that you you work. Like how many it. times I've come to you? But, and it's like, what do you think of this? Yeah, like, but I, I still think this. that we need an, we need to find a place where the audience is like is in on it, where they're like, okay, fine, let, like give me your worst. I might be completely... I'm not going to have... I'm not going to laugh at it, maybe, just as an, just like in an open mic. But I'm not going to record you and take you... Like, it happened... I forget what when it happened, that an open mic, some girl, like, shouted, like, you shouldn't do, be doing rape jokes. And, like, there was this whole controversy, whatever. 
And for me, it was literally like, okay, yeah, I, I, I felt the joke wasn't sensitive, and I felt the joke was wasn't was was you know but not. We're not workshopping. Good. I mean, we're like. But exactly, but it's an open mic, uh, and again, maybe you didn't like it, and that comedian doesn't have to listen to you for advice. You're not his friend, um, but you know, like you don't, you also don't have to screen not a screen grab, like do a thirty second thing. Maybe you should put it do on this. the internet. Maybe you should start this. You should start no, because I don't want to listen to all those jokes. <laughs> no, no, I do. Here's the thing: not necessarily because I want to listen to them, but because I get what you're talking about. Like the craft of comedy, it requires a fair bit of experimentation, yeah. and a lot of this experimentation will happen with the limits of the acceptable and the limits of the offensive and the limits of the condemnable, yeah. even. And having, like, sometimes you strike gold and, like, this really uh, edgy joke that you have, like, you know, my, my white baby joke, you know, from the very beginning, it was born alive, ironically. Um, it was born alive and it was, it was working from the beginning because the observation was there and because the commentary was there and so on and so forth. But, but it could have as easily gone through this phase of Jesus Christ, like, nobody's laughing at this, but I've got something. Yeah. I, I've got something that I want to try. Now... Um, maybe we should have like a secret open mic that is only for comedians where everyone leaves their phone at the door. No recording devices. Yeah. No evidence gathering of any kind. And we can all just like, I want to talk about this. My only problem with that is that a lot of comedians will go, I want to be there just so I can show how edgy I am. And it will be just full of people going like, the other day I thought yeah. that ripping a woman's nipples with my teeth would be funny because nipples must taste like chicken. And like, you're yeah. just looking at them because there's so many... something there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, there's so many comedians that like, just, I just hear them going like, you don't... The other day, I was with a comedian. It was three comedians. I'm not going to mention who the um, the opener was. The, like there were two of us opening, um, but we flipped a coin Ooh, and I double was, penetration. I know. <laughs> uh, I was the second one because I, we flipped a coin and I won the coin flip and I will not open a show if I can avoid it because it, it wrecks Ooh. my nerves. It wrecks my nerves. I still do it when I have to, but I, I'm, I will not. I will not shy away from it. But I will not um, look for it either. And there were three comedians. The, the third one, the, the main act, he is a, a wonderful, accomplished, amazing comedian. And the first one, he's a comedian that's been doing this for at least two years longer than I have. And he started telling these really, 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 really dark jokes. Some of them were funny. Some of them. But at some point during the thing, he goes, blah, 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 tells a joke. People are just like looking at him like, what the like, no. fuck are you doing? We're not this getting very on this magic carpet right. Yeah, this is inappropriate. This, what the not fuck are you doing? Show me this and world. he goes this thing that a lot of comedians do. Who go, he goes, oh, so you're not fans of dark humor. Mm -hmm. Clearly, you don't like dark humor. He said something along these lines. And he finished his set with a very lukewarm applause. The kind of applause that just means, thank God that's over. Yeah. And I step in. And I open my set with the question... Who here, has, who here has a problem with dark humor? And I was like, should I say this question? So I start and I say, all right, before I begin with my thing, raise your hand and tell me, does anyone here have a problem with dark humor? Like really dark humor? And everyone goes, no, we don't have a problem. And I go, oh, so it was just that his jokes were bad. <laughs> and that was my first laugh of the day. Because no. you have to acknowledge, obviously, when the comedian is not doing well, yeah. you have to mention it. I'm sorry. You have it's to break the tension. It's happened the to all of us. It's happened to all of us. We've all bombed. 
and we need someone to break the tension by saying, oh, this guy sucked, didn't he? Um, and then I started telling my, my, uh, my set. It was a 10, 15 minute set. And I got lots of applause, lots of like really good response from the audience. So it wasn't the dark humor. It was the quality and the delivery of the jokes. Totally. And my problem with creating a safe space, as you say, and my problem with creating safe spaces in general, as in safe, because I don't believe in creating safe spaces because I believe that every space should be saved, safe. Like no. I, you know, like the assumption should be the space is safe. And instead of creating safe spaces, we should mark unsafe spaces. Okay. I believe in condemn, condemning rather Some buildings. than... buildings. Yeah. Like, yeah. If, you know... You if, believe in walls coming all over you. Yes. Anywho. <laughs> Anywho. No, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. What I, More than a safe space, what I want is... I mean, you need people to understand that you're workshopping the material. A lot of people That's do, the, and a lot of people don't. But this is, the, this is the risk that we take. Yeah. So, anyway... anyway um, your recommendation for the week. The week. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, what am I recommending? Uh, I didn't write Do you want me to go first? Please. Okay. I am recommending this thing that I'm holding, which just arrived. Like, it's literally. It's so big. It's so, so heavy. It's so big. I ordered it from Amazon. It's <laughs> nice and big and heavy, and it, it's very tactile, you know. it's It promises hours and hours of fun, apparently. Mm -hmm. Now, I ordered this card game called Joking Hazard, as in J-O-K-I-N-G. Joking Hazard. Um... Subtitle reads, an offensive card game from Cyanide and Happiness, probably the most, if not one of the most um, famous web comics mm -hmm. on the web, um, which is, again, dark humor. It's based on dark humor, but it's a joke building game. Yeah. Instead of Cards Against Humanity, which is not necessarily a joke building game, but rather making things match linguistically a bit yeah. more, uh, although the humor is the, the result in the end. Ideally. It, ideally. Um, this game is basically just panels of the webcomic, which is always a three panel comic, and the instruction manual tells you a, a, a three panel comic is made of a setup. A midsection and a punchline. Yeah. So um, the players, what they do is they pull out the midsection of the comic, and then you have to come up with a setup that makes that, uh, or a card that makes the midsection the setup, or whatever it is. Yeah. But you have to build a joke. Yeah. And whoever builds the best joke with the cards you give them wins the round. Yes. And I've played. I played this with Martin Leon, like. Probably, we play. It's yeah, a three-person game, but we have we have no more friends, and so. we have no more friends. And we did not give a fuck. It was funny. It was exactly. we, it was hilarious. We're gonna post a picture on our Instagram if you want to see the winner of the night, courtesy of yes. yours truly. Yes, that um, was really good. It was really good, but the game seems like such a comedian's game. It seems like everyone can play it. Surely yeah. everyone can play it, but. Playing it with the comedians, I think, would be, like, the next level of... Here's the thing. I've played Cards Against Humanity with a lot of people, and I think this would be harder for people who are not comedians, because yes. Cards Against Humanity, it's more like word association, and it's... I, think, I don't know if harder or easier. It's just, it's just words. And I don't say that, like, oh, it's just words. Uh, I mean, you can kind of fit a lot of people's type of humor into yeah. Cards Against Humanity, This is very much a web comic. I had a, I had a, I had a, I used to be a web comic addict. Okay. There was a time where like Monday hit and I checked like 40 different web comics that I've done. What was your favorite? 
Oh my god, which is my favorite? Saturday morning breakfast cereal. That's one of my favorites. That's good. And uh, dinosaur comics. Dinosaur comics is great. It's just... My favorite uh, web comic of all time, and that's going to be my recommendation. I'm going to recommend Sandra Kay's web comics. She has three. Boy Meets Boy, first gay web comic I ever read. Amazing. It's this tall Russian guy who is who has this short blonde boyfriend. Uh, their, do- their next door neighbor is the daughter of Satan. And what? Yeah, and she ends up dating a uh, a hired uh, gun. Uh, boy meets boy. Uh, and then she did. Um, oh, what's what's the name of the second comic? Right now she's she's drawing. Um, love no, love me nice is another web comic. Uh, but I'm gonna recommend Boy Meets Boy, which is an amazing web comic. First web comic I ever loved. Uh, and then uh, I will put the the links to her other comics on her Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if I get can get that set up. And I think that's it. That's it. Thank you for stopping by. It was you can a- follow us at Mexicans, a lot of places. Just- a lot of places, just Mexicans. You can find Martin Leon at Mint RL at everywhere. And you can find Luis Augusto at Mr. Drama. Spell out Mr. None of this. M-I-S-T-E-R. Abbreviations are not for me. Fuck you. Fuck you. Uh, you like things that are long and heavy and spelled properly. <laughs> Have a nice week. Goodbye.